And so today, uh, our topic is two kinds of church. And this word church comes, uh, you will find it the first time in the, in the New Testament. Uh, and so it is translated as ecclesia in, uh, in, in the Greek language, which basically is, is a, uh, a term meaning people have been called out or the community of believers. Okay. So a church is the people who have been called out, uh, from either the world or from, uh, uh, from their people. And so we begin seeing how the church is being formed from the very first day that God calls Abram. Abram. He, Bible says that God, God came to Abram and told him that leave your kindred, leave your people into a land that I'm going to show you, into a promised land. And the Bible records that Abraham obeyed and departed him and his wife Sarai and he, and, and his nephew Lot and the servants. You know the story, right? And so, you see this man being called out. It's a type of a church. Abraham is being called out from his kindred, from his people, okay, to leave Canaan, leave um, uh, that land that he was in into, into Canaan. And Abraham, or Abraham, reaches the promised land. The Old Testament is quiet about it, but we learn about this in the, old, in the New Testament. The Bible says that Abraham and his son Isaac and his generation dwell in the promised land, sojourned in the promised land like strangers. Okay? Looking for a land whose builder is God himself. Remember that? In Hebrews 11. And so we learn from Hebrews that actually this man reached in the promised land. But the Bible says that when he reached in the promised land, he began searching for the promised land. Hello? So this man has reached the promised land and he begins looking for another promised land. Was he foolish? Absolutely not. He's, he understood that the promised land that God had taken him into was a metaphor. It was an allegory. It is a, it was a, it's a story with a larger meaning, meaning. And so when he dies, God calls and says that this man was a man of faith. For he looked forward to that rest. He looked forward to that promised land. And brothers and sisters, we are living in that generation. I'm coming to that. But before this man does Abraham or Abraham, God tells him that you will have children as multitude as the sun on the seashore, like the stars in heaven. But these children of yours will be taken into captivity. But after 400 years, I will deliver them with an outstretched arm. You know the story. And God actually comes back after 430 years. And I think I told why 430 and not 400. Uh, so we won't go into that detail. And so after four, uh, the Lord comes and fulfills the word. Through Moses, takes the children from uh, Egypt into, ostensibly, into the promised land. Remember? He promised them land. So he's taking them from Egypt into the promised land. And these people arrive in the wilderness in multitude in number. And the Bible calls them the church. Bible calls them the church. Where do we get that? Let's read, if my brother can project New King James Version in the interest of time. New King James Version as 738. We see God calling these people in the wilderness for 40 years who are there. He calls them a church. So it's a type of a church. So we want to see the characteristic of that church and compare it with another church which we are part of. 
That's not there. Oh. Scripture, Acts 7, uh, 38. Acts 7, 38. Uh, New King James Version. Uh, thank you. There we go. Uh, sorry, let's take uh, 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 King James Version, not New. Okay, there we go. So he's saying, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel. We can just stop there. So we see first of first that he's talking about Moses. You can read this at your own time. He's talking about the church in the wilderness. Your Bible be saying congregation. Another one says assembly. It's the same word translated ecclesia. Okay. So we see that there is a type of church. Those people in the wilderness were called the church. Now let's look at a few characteristics of this church and ask yourself, where did this church go? And what was the connotation, the importance of this church? Why did God allow us to learn about this church? And where did that church go? Okay. And how did we then become a church from this? The first thing we learn is that this church in the wilderness partook of the Holy Communion. They ate the Holy Communion. Uh, you read that one in 631, John 631. And also these people were baptized. They ate the Holy Communion. The Bible says they ate manna, which is food from heaven, uh, denoting that manna was a type of Holy Communion. Okay, And they were baptized while crossing the Red Sea. Okay, so very important that they ate of Holy Communion. And I was telling the early church in the morning that the reason why the early church were not rebuked by God when they asked for manna or for water is because those two things were very important. Because the water from the rock denoted um, what we take in the church as the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, what we take the wine and, and we ate the, the bread. And so when they asked for water, God was not, if you remember the scripture very well, God was not angry with them. Rather, he was angry with Moses for Moses lacking revelation. That's a different story. Um, the second thing we learned about this church, also very important, is that these people were given the gospel. Uh, you will learn that one in Hebrew 4, 4, 4 uh, verse 2. Uh, but... As there we go. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. It means these people also were given the gospel. But they were different. This, this church had a different breed of people. And here we see one of them is that although they had the message of gospel is the message of Jesus Christ. These people had the message of Jesus Christ. They were preached salvation. But they did not grasp it because they did not mix the hearing with faith. Okay, so uh, very important that one. We will see why these people do not mix the, their faith, uh, uh, what they had. We'll see how what happened. And number three is that these people, God calls them spiritual con men. Uh, the church in the wilderness is called spiritual con men. You know what a con man is? A con man is a person who promises you that you have won this much money and this number to this money and you will get a present. You know that, a price? Okay. Or promises you a car and delivers a bicycle. Or nothing. Okay, So that's a speech of command. God says this in, uh, um, in Psalm 78. I prefer that you read the entire 78 uh, by, our, by our own brother Esaph. It describes that church. The Bible says this, that these people uh, they are men because their hearts were not right, neither were their, 
spirits faithful. Meaning that they were speaking with one mouth, but doing the other thing, their heart was not right with God. And number D, very important number four, is that this church in the wilderness allowed luxury and materialism to cloud their judgment. They wanted luxury. And God says in verse 18 of Psalm 78 that these people asked for food of their fancy. They tempted God in their heart for because they asked food of their fancy. New King James Version. Okay? Meaning they were going for luxury. Meat was not part of the menu. Okay? In other words, the manna and the water they were being given was sufficient. But because they were of hard heart, they decided to go and ask, tempt God by asking him of meat. Okay? Many of us do that, believers. We tell God, we know you can heal malaria and cough and this, but when it comes to cancer, you stop there. And God says, these people, um, the word he uses, uh, is 78, sorry, I've forgotten the word, but they belittled the capacity of God. They belittled the by asking him of manna, sorry, of meat. The asking of meat was basically they were arrogant guys saying, you God, we have heard about you, but we know that you are limited. You are, you are stops here. Okay, you can't go beyond there. This cancer you can't heal. Okay, you can't provide for my fist. This one you don't can do, so I'll use my own energy. And because of this characteristic of this church, God was displeased with it and said, these people will not enter my rest. They will not enter the promised land. Hello? So we understand that these people did not enter the promised land. But when you read your Bibles, they actually did. Physically, so to speak, they entered Canaan. But spiritually, they did not enter the rest. They did not enter the promised land because there were people who had a hard heart. And therefore, Christ comes and says, that church died. Your people, the only people who ate manna, they are dead in John 6, 49. He says, your fathers ate of manna, but they are dead. That church died. Okay. But because of this character, we see things about this church. Number one is that God allowed them to be consumed by frivolous things, by futility. Okay, the Bible says this. It says that uh, a man who does not till his land but follows follows frivolous things shall inherit poverty. It means if a mirage, if you follow useless things, you'll go hungry. Now, because this church was at, in understanding the ways of God, God allowed them to pursue frivolous things. Thank you. Okay, so I want to give you some two examples of frivolous things that God allowed these people to go through. Frivolous things is an example. You've heard people say when they're growing old that this man has grown old He's 80 years old, looks back and realizes that he had been following frivolous things. He dies a bitter man. He says, I wasted my life. So God allows these people to go through that. 
that they consumed their youth and their life following frivolous things. I'll give you one or two examples. Number one, the temple. The temple. Since they were hard-nosed people, God allowed them to construct a temple. The first temple was done for seven years. The second one constructed took 49 years. These people constructed the temple for all that time and when they finished constructing the temple, the constructor himself, the architect himself called Solomon realizes that there is no God in this thing. Hello? When he was dedicating the temple, Solomon says, God, the heaven itself cannot contain you, neither the earth. How can you be contained in a building? But these people, because they had had, they had been consumed by foolishness, they didn't understand what he was saying. He was telling them, guys, we have wasted years constructing the temple. There is no God in this thing. There is no God in this temple. Isaiah comes and repeats the same thing. He says, God, you cannot dwell on earth. He tells them they did not hear. Jesus Christ himself comes, meets that lady at the well, the Samaritan woman, you remember? He tells her, can you give me some water? She's like, mm, we can't give you water. He says, but you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. Okay, in the temple. As we worship in this mountain. Christ tells her, look here woman. A time is coming and now is the time where the true worshippers shall worship God in the spirit. So he's telling the woman, that temple you see there, where people go every year, flock with sacrifice. There is no God. But meanwhile, those guys were so fixated on the temple that when they were killing Christ, one of the things on the charge sheet was that he said he's going to destroy the temple. If you spoke against the temple with the Jews, you are a dead man. Up to date, they still go there and their eyes had been calloused. They couldn't see. Now the Bible says, seeing they see, they, they perceive not. Hearing they hear, they don't understand. Their eyes were closed. That church in the wilderness because their focus was wrong. Another thing that God allowed them to go through a frivolous thing is the law. The law. You know, brothers, as you learn, as you read the scripture in the New Testament, you begin to learn that the law is called the law of Moses for a reason. That this law was not the idea of God. It's not an idea for the church. An example, the Pharisees come to Christ and tell him, Mwalimu, teacher, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife. You know the story. And Christ says, haven't you not read that he created them female and male? And for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and his father and the two shall be joined together and shall become one flesh. And therefore, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. I don't know whether you are following. And he stops there. And the teachers of the law Pharisees tell him, sir, but didn't Moses tell us write to us that you should divorce your wife. And Christ gives them a huge revelation. He tells them, Moses wrote to you that law because of the hardness of your heart. In other words, that law was not from God. He gave you because you desired of it. These laws that you have is not the mind of God. And I gave in the morning a, a story in the morning to the church. And I said, many times you drive on these roads in Nairobi. And one day, 
a road that you keep using every morning. One day as you're driving, the policeman stop you and they say, sir, you have been doing 69 or 80. And you say, sir, but there is no any 50. And they tell you, oh, there is a 50 you didn't see. Say, when, when, when was it put? You say, it was put yesterday. Okay? So you have been over speeding. The reason why the policemen, the government put the bumps or put uh, the 50s is because you asked for it. Either you killed many children or cows or you are just reckless. So the government has decided to give you a law. The government did not put the law. You asked for it, pastor, because we are driving. So this law that these people were following, all the generation and killing each other for it and killing their children, stoning their children, was not from God. Frivolous things, that church. And God decides, this church cannot enter the rest. It is hard. It does not obey. Okay? They have got no revelation of where I'm taking them. Therefore, God decides, these people, I'll bury them. The Bible says they are dead. I don't know who killed them, but they were killed and they were buried. So Christ comes and tells us, that church that ate manna is dead. When did this church die? The church died on the border of Jordan. On the border of Jordan. Before they crossed into the promised land. And so they arrive on the border and God tells, as they pass, God tells Joshua, his servant, take 12 stones. Take 12 stones, one for each clan and carry it into the promised land and erect it as a memorial for me, for the things that I've done for this church. Those stones was a barrier. Those guys were burying the Jordan. Stones was a metaphor that these guys are dead. So the church died. The church is buried. And our brother Haggai, the post-exilic um, prophet, comes and says, there's going to be another church. And he says, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. He's saying, we have buried that church, but don't despair. There's going to be another church that's going to have greater glory than that. Fast forward. John the Baptist, that tough preacher, comes and is standing on the Jordan where those stones are. And he calls the Pharisees come. Okay. And he tells them, you brood of vipers, who want you to flee the destruction that is yet to come? Therefore repent and bear fruit worth of repentance. And he tells them, do not say that we have got Abraham, our father. For God is able to raise children from these stones. The same stones that Joshua erected, a man comes, a prophet, and says, from this stone, there shall come children of God, a new church. Hallelujah. And so, we, are, we begin seeing in the New Testament, we being called the living stones, the precious stones. God calls, calls um, uh, his um, disciple Peter and says, Peter, calls him say, who do people say that I am? People say you are Elijah, others you are John the Baptist resurrected, but who do you guys say I am? Peter says, you 
you are Jesus Christ. And Christ says, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail upon it. Now, we are the living church. The latter church. And Christ himself said that, that the gates of hell cannot prevail upon us. Brothers, I was, I was watching a movie recently. Alone in darkness. Two hours, it's two hours about that. Two hours, 30 minutes. When your wife is away, you get many time for things you never used to do. I'll recommend that you watch this movie, but uh, with a disclaimer, with parental guidance, by parental, uh, parental advisory. It's called Schindler's List. Schindler's List. S-C-H. Schindler. Schindler was um, a German, a German um, industrialist, uh, in short. He's a man who is credited to have saved 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust. He's the only German buried in Jerusalem. The only Nazi German that his remains were gotten from Germany and transported. He's a living legend to Jews. He's called Schindler. His name was called Schindler. When I finished watching that movie, my, my eyes were wet. But when I was getting up from my seat to go sleep, somebody just told me that indeed the gates of hell cannot overcome the church. If today you dropped a bomb in Nairobi and kill everyone, there will be someone remaining who will crawl from those rubbles, and that one will be a Christian. You cannot disseminate this church. You cannot destroy this church. The gates of hell cannot. People keep saying, the youth nowadays, the youth this. Those youth, I'm telling you, there is a remnant. Because there's a prophecy. It's a new church. You can't overcome the new, the new church. So let's look at some characteristics of the new church. Okay? So we have seen that it's called stones. They are called, we are called living stones, precious stones. But the question is, when was this church resurrected? When was it gotten? When was the new church gotten? Remember the church was buried. Okay? So when did we resurrect? Quickly. Jesus is dead. Three days in the tomb. And on a Sunday morning, some company of women, Salome, Mary Magdalene, you know them, they went to the tomb and they couldn't find him. And I think others by despair left. But Mary Magdalene seems she tarried behind. And Christ appears to her and calls her Mary. And she turns back and says, Rabboni, meaning rabbi, right? The intonation, the Bible says that the sheep know my voice. She knew the voice. She says, this one is the Lord. And she was so emotional that she was running to go and cling to him. Remember the story. And Christ tells her, ah, 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 Mary, don't cling on me. For I haven't gone to the Father. Hello? But, a few days later, Christ comes back. He's with the disciples, and the disciples go touch him. Remember um, uh, Thomas? Come touch my? Yes. So they went to touch Christ. So what happened between that dispensation, that time of Mary Magdalene, and a few days later, they are able to touch him. Another metaphor. For those who remember the Jewish culture, that when a high priest was going to offer the sin offering into the Holy of Holies, he will go alone 
and not talk to anyone, not be touched. It was a holy moment. And so it was a metaphor. Christ was taking his blood which had purchased the latter church in the presence of God Almighty our Father for atonement of our sin. So when he comes back, we have been birthed. We are a church. And we have overcome the world. Just like that. Simplicity of the gospel. But these guys, the Old Testament church in the wilderness, didn't understand what the priests were doing. Okay? So God gives birth to us. So, number one fact about this letter church. Number one is that this church has entered Sabastos. Has entered has entered into rest. This church has entered into rest. It's called Sabasmos, Sabatismos, which means rest. So we are the church that Abraham saw. He saw this kind of rest. That there are people who will come, who will enter that rest. The children of Israel did not enter the rest. The promised land was an allegory, was a metaphor of the latter day church. And that is why, brothers and sisters, Christ comes and these guys are quarreling about about, about uh, Sabato. Hello? They are quarreling about the seventh day. And people still today still quarrel about They still teach it. I don't know. It's like witchcraft. There are people who are stuck on teaching Sabato. It's witchcraft. Really? It is so clear in the Bible. There are people who are still wrestling on mediocre things about did you worship on Sunday? Did you work or not work? It is witchcraft. Because now we understand what, what sabbatical means to us believers. And that's why when, 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 uh, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he tells Timothy, Timothy, be careful about these two guys, categories. People who waste things in why all why feebles and endless genealogies. So Sabato was Christ. He's the rest. Sabbath is Christ. That when you're in Christ, you are at rest. And so he comes and he wants to heal someone and the people are quarreling. Let's see whether he's going to heal on Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. This is the reason why we are resting. is because of this man. Christ is dying on the cross and these guys are going to Pilate, asking that they go and kill him, break his legs, because tomorrow is a Sabbath. How can people become so careless? The Sabbath is on the cross. You want to go and celebrate the Sabbath. For who? It's like you, I have invited you for dinner in my home, and I meet you on the road, and you are abusing me. Are you seeing the... <laughs> so, so, this man comes to church with a... Uh, with a paralyzed arm. And the Bible says they watch to see whether Christ will heal on the Sabbath. Hello? Mark 3. And the Bible says when Christ perceived their thoughts, he called that man and said, come. Then he asked them, is it good to heal on the Sabbath? To give life or destroy? And the Bible says Jesus was so angered because of the hardness of heart and said, son, my son, stretch your hand. 
and be healed. He was the Sabbath. Brothers and sisters, we are in Sabbath. I was taught in the other church next door that if I don't obey Sabbath, it's a sin. I will go to the priest every one, two weeks, two. It is, religion is bad. And I'll go there and ask for from the priest. Father, forgive me for I did not honor the Sabbath. Forgive me, I did not honor. And I was taught, Salah, honor the Sabbath of God, blah, blah. They didn't know what Sabbath is. We are the Sabbath. No more. Brothers, we are living in a Sabbath. Every day is a Sabbath for us. If today on Sunday you want to go and wash your car at home, you don't feel like coming to church, you are a born again brother. Brother, go clean your car. This is radical. This is radical. The church is a body of believers. We come together to worship. If you woke up and you are tired, you are born again, you have got the Holy Spirit of God, go buy a newspaper, put on sandals, and read. You are the Sabbath. You are in the Sabbath. There is no law about this, brother. There is no law. We come because there is benefit in corporate worship. We come because of corporate worship. There is benefit. But paradvenger, you land here in the morning, like my wife landing tomorrow, and she wants to sleep, not come to church. She is blessed. She is blessed. Don't, be, don't come and ask for repentance here. You are wasting time. There is no repentance at all. It's not sin. That one is gone. Number two, this second church, our church that we are in, us. You see those guys who are dancing here? That is the church. Another brother, pastor, I had him give a testimony. He said, uh, there's a preacher who came to preach in his church. He had given him opportunity. Him, he had traveled. And so, in the evening, of course, you normally call to check how the service was. And so this brother said, hey, how was the church? He says, well, the church was awesome. Except that the youth in your church wear cups, wear coffee to church. So this other person says, what's wrong with that? Just, but that is the temple of God. This other pastor who had known the scripture told him, no, look here. It is not the youth who are wearing the cape. It is the church that was wearing the cape. <laughs> so, the second thing about this church, this church has repented. This new church has repented. George the Baptist comes and says he was coming to preach the, the pre, uh, he was preaching the gospel of repentance for a mission of sin. Paul says, talking to certain uh, church I think in Greece, telling them that in those old days, God overlooked our sins. But now he commands every man to repent. Okay? And the first day Peter stands to preach after Pentecost, to 3,000 people, he preaches and the message cuts through the heart of people. And they ask him, Sir, what shall we do to inherit this great salvation? And he says, Repent and be baptized. What is repentance? Repentance, it's come from the Greek word called metanio. Metanio, which basically means think differently. Transform the way you think. Change 360, 180. Change your thinking. That's repentance. So he's telling the Pharisee, change the way you think. These laws and customs, change. And accept Christ and be baptized. That's repentance. 
Repentance is not what I see in the Luya community. Where we do, riswa, riswa. Okay. That is not repentance. That's ignorance. You know, brothers and sisters, there are things that look spiritual, but they have got no spiritual benefit. We have been brought up into witchcraft so that we want always to do something to feel spiritual. Today, my apostle, <laughs> Joshua, if I met you out here and you told me you have got this issue bothering you, and I took your hand and told you, my brother, go in peace, it is well. Not many brothers will accept that. They want you to say, let's do some fasting and do some, yeah, this a bit, yes. Because we want to see that we have earned it. Okay. But repentance is just changing your mind. And our brother Paul writes to uh, Romans says, and do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind that you can be able to test and approve that which is perfect, excellent, and good, perfect will of God. Amen? So dependence is changing your mind. And that's why when you get born again, brothers and sisters, don't stay home. When you hear teaching like we are having next week, come. Because repentance is not an event. It's a process. You are taught one, two, three, four, and you know, these things are not beneficial. This is beneficial. Repentance is this way. This is not repentance. There is a difference between repentance and James says that if is anyone among you sick, let him call uh, the church. Okay? And he uses some word there. Remember that word? Okay. That word is called which means to acknowledge sin. That if you have sinned, you confess your sin. Confess your sin one to another. Basically means acknowledge your sin before the Lord. That Lord, I have sinned. I acknowledge my sin. That is not repentance. That is acknowledging sin. Have you ever seen brother, sister, someone has hurt you, has messed you up, and he's trying to justify. Say, uh, uh, like my daughters, I don't know that they're here, they're outside. They go with the bicycle, they come back, the bicycle is spoiled, and you ask them, they have explanation and justification. Why it was because either I didn't put sufficient air. So in other words, they want to blame me for spoiling the bicycle. They are justifying. There are people who don't acknowledge sin. Here we are just being taught as the new church, we acknowledge sin. But we repent by changing our mind. By being taught. And I gave an illustration in the morning uh, to the church. That um, I took home in the village my little daughter uh, to take to aunties. For those who come from villages like me, when you have a baby, you take home, home for blessing. For aunties to bless the baby. And so we took the baby home and as we were having fun and when we were in the village, you know, within no time the story has gone already. Everyone knows that Brother Mlongo is in town. There are those who are coming to celebrate with you. There are those who are coming to get some sugar. You understand, right? And so, this woman I used to see when I was growing up, she turns up and I said in the morning, she had two characteristics that were so odd in the village. She was six point something feet tall. Okay? Taller than Brother February. Okay? And she was a pauper. Poor. She's a poor woman. 
But she was so happy to see me. She not even seen my wife. She comes and she hugs me and I hug her tummy because she stole I hug her. And we are just happy. My son has come. Are you seeing that? I am just blessed. Me and my heart is just blessed to see that woman hugging me and saying, oh, our, you know, the son of our daughter, the son of our sister has come. Oh, you know, you have brought us a young one. But meanwhile, as we are still hugging, someone comes and grabs my little daughter. I just remember that vividly. Grabs my little daughter and she disappears for a while. So we had chai, we had chai with this old woman and I gave her some sugar and she blessed me and left. Later in the evening, we get a call from my auntie and her sons. They say, my son Mulongo, please keep monitoring that child. If that child feels sick, if there's any temperature, let us know. This time we, won, we are not going to leave that woman. So, so that woman is a witch. She had come to bewitch your daughter. I told my aunt, look here my aunt. Leave that woman of God alone. There is no sickness with my baby and she's not a witch. Poverty is not witchcraft. Being tall in the village is not witchcraft. <laughs> but you know what, brothers? It's because I have repented. I have repented. There are things that don't bother me. You cannot curse me. The Bible says that a curse without cause cannot land. You cannot. But the brothers in the church, in this new church, who just panic, shake. Oh, pray for me. Oh, brothers, repent. Change. 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 We are the new church. Finally, this church, the old church, the new church, we are many. The Bible says that we are in the company of innumerable angels. Why is that important? That being many is important. From that story I've given you on that movie, Schindler's List, the more we are, the better it is for the world. The numerous we are, the better it is for the world. That today you are working in Kenya Power, you are working with NRC, another one is working with the Kakan Foundation. We are spreading the grace of God. We are spreading the love of God. We are bringing sobriety and healing. Because we are many. Brothers, don't be deceived like our friend and our brother Elijah who said that I am the only one who has not bowed his feet to the bar. Let me assure you, there is a multitude of brethren out here. Some you don't know. And they are known as the first line of God. They sit on the front line of God. Powerful women and men of God. We are in a good company. And the time is coming, brethren, we will go in heaven. The Bible says that people from all walks, from nations, shall be before the Lord. Joining the 24 elders, bowing down before him, and saying that holy, holy, your name is holy. We will be many. It is for our advantage. It is for our Others are still in our womb. Others are coming. I can see on your faces. You're going to bring us more church. More children. And we will overcome this world. We will overcome Kenya. Because that's who we are. We overcome us. God calls Abraham and tells Abraham, Abraham, leave your land and I'll bless you. The word bless there 
is baraka means an overcomer we are overcomers now let me show you the last scripture uh so that we can also repent together as we did in the first chapter in the last in the last service uh why we are saying we are many john 14 john 14 let not your heart be troubled ye believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i'll have told you <laughs> Yeah, we want to repent on this. Are you seeing there that uh, Christ is saying that I'm going to the Father to prepare for you a place, okay? Because in my Father's house are many mansions. How many of us here believe they have got mansions in heaven? Beautiful mansion. Yes, you are the ones who need to repent. <laughs> And so, look at that English. That in my Father's house, a house like this, okay, there are mansions. You know what a mansion is? You guys you have gone to school. A mansion is like white at the state house here. It's a big magnificent house with many rooms, right? With a toilet, with a jacuzzi. Okay? So he's saying, my father has got a house, and in that house there are mansions also. Which kind of house is that? A big house that the house is inside. So why do you have another big house? Okay. So Christ is telling the disciples if you read in the context he's telling them if you obey me and keep my commandments I go to the father and when I go I pray that he will give you the holy spirit even our helper whom you know but the world does not know right it is for your benefit that I go if I don't go the holy spirit cannot come so he's telling the disciples I am going there to make preparation that the holy spirit comes and when he comes uh NIV says in my father's house are many rooms okay but basically when you read the scripture because of time house basically means that we believe us in this church we are houses my brother apostle is a house his dear wife is a house mama is a house pasakinu is a house brother george is a house they are housing the holy spirit Each one of them is housing the Holy Spirit. We are houses built by Christ Jesus. We are mansions beautiful. We are mansions. When you go to heaven, all of us are perfect, spotless, complete, having carried the spirit of God. And we are called the obedient. When you go there we go to worship. Why do you need a house in heaven? There is no rain there. There are no thieves there. There is no Why do you need a mansion? You are the mansion because you have got the holy spirit of god in you so repent that thing you have got no mansion in heaven is not going to put for you a small thing here here another one here another one bigger we are the mansions of the holy the houses of the holy spirit of god and because of this as i've mentioned the bible calls us obedient children in peter it calls because of sin of one man so because of one man sin came to the world but because of the obedience of Jesus Christ we have received the righteousness of God therefore the bible calls us the obedient children the earlier church they are called the disobedient children as we have obeyed because Christ took the blood and our sin to heaven and so when God sees us 
He sees us as children who have obeyed. Don't go back to disobedience. Don't begin thinking that you have disobeyed. No. We have overcome the world. Let's have the choir. Are we blessed? Shall we then celebrate? Let's celebrate with the club as a church. So brothers, I want to beseech you to, uh, because of time, you go read further. Uh, just to understand that, that part that I've just touched is a whole sermon, is a whole series of why we are a house on this part of scripture. Uh, read uh, of uh, Hebrews uh, 3, 30, 3, 3, Hebrews 3, 6, etc. You will learn a lot in Hebrews about this house that we are talking about. It's, it is so powerful.